Hello and welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, the host, the creator of the Spiritual Spiral. Thrilled that you're here. Thrilled that I'm back. I had finally, um, I finally had a wisdom tooth extracted yesterday. So I don't know if you were listening to a show that I did about six weeks ago with Stevie, but I was experiencing all this pain in my teeth and my mouth and my dentist suggested getting a wisdom tooth pulled. So there you go. So I took about a week off from recording and I'm back. So today you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Polly Humphrey. She's a friend of mine. She's an actress here in Los Angeles. And we talk a little bit more about Netflix and the Martin Scorsese opinion piece that came out about two weeks ago. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Netflix effect on our lives, specifically artists. And I think Martin Scorsese brought up a lot of interesting points in his article And Polly's an actress here in L.A., and she has very strong opinions as well about Netflix and artistry. So I thought it'd be really cool to talk to her about it. So you'll hear the conversation really soon. Just a few things I'm thinking about. Just I get presented with questions and comments from my friends about, you know, what's the point of your podcast? Or why are you so critical about tech? Why are you spending time talking about it. And I, I think if you think about it, we so easily trust the world around us or, you know, the technology that is flooded into our brains that permeates into our lives. We just sort of accept it as being the thing to do. Everybody just really just accepts Instagram and accepts Facebook and everybody starts using it. TikTok and our cell phones, and we just all embrace it pretty easily without questioning why are we doing it. And I, I guess I've never really been that way. I've been one that doesn't like to conform. I like to sort of stand true to my own values and my own beliefs. And before I adopt something, I, you know, I ask questions. And you know, just for example, today, the day that I'm recording this intro. Bird, the Bird Scooter Company, has announced birdies, scooters that are for kids. And you know how I feel about birds. I I think the idea of having a scooter is a great concept, but when you put them everywhere in a city like Los Los Angeles or, or New York, people don't really want to be bothered reading rules. They just want to do whatever the fuck they want to do. So what happens is people ride scooters on the sidewalks where they shouldn't be. They ride without helmets. They they ride them the wrong way. And it creates a lot of chaos. It creates a lot of harm. It creates a lot of anxiety for people. And so I think to myself, if birds are creating all of these issues and there's people in Santa Monica that are throwing them into the trash cans and they're throwing them in the ocean because people are so fed up with them being littered everywhere. If adults can't handle scooters, how in the world can we imagine kids are going to deal with the potential harm that can arise by using scooters around big cities like New York? And just literally like the last three days, a child was killed in Nashville, Tennessee, riding I'm sorry, in New Jersey, riding a scooter. A 16-year-old was killed by a, a truck driver. And I just, I know these types of accidents are going to be happening more often. People might not be getting killed, but you know there's injuries happening all the time. And that's sort of the day and age, that's sort of the time that we live in now, where technology sort of just does what they want. 
and we can embrace it and start using it and be a part of the party. Or it does feel if you don't embrace Instagram and use it every day or embrace Netflix, there's something wrong with you. And I do think Netflix and Instagram and Facebook, they are controlling people's brains and minds. They are manipulating people to stay on the platform. They are causing other entertainment conglomerates to completely change and rewrite the way they create programming because if they don't, they're going to be lost. And they get the sense that people are going to spend all of their time on Netflix. They're going to forget about Disney and NBC and Amazon. It's it's creating a world where if you don't adopt Instagram, Netflix, Amazon Prime, you're going to be left in the dust. It feels that way. And it feels almost like we have no choice. And it feels as though technology is playing with people's emotions. And it's also creating huge levels of grandiloquent behavior where people are becoming so pompous, so full of themselves, because these platforms give people the impression that their lives are worth talking about or sharing all the time. It's crazy what's going on. And I think there's actually more confusion and disconnect than ever before. And it's because of technology. It's because people are scared to speak up. I mean, people are terrified to come on my po- on my podcast and actually talk about real stuff. They would rather just talk about Instagram or post selfies all day. It's sort of mind-boggling to me what technology has done. And I want to talk about it. And I think we can all just sort of sit back and conform to Netflix and just conform to the algorithms and the formulas and just stare at our phones and DM and text all the time. Or we can take a stand, put the phone down, have face-to-face conversations, read books, go to the movies, go to the theater, be an active participant in our day-to-day lives instead of being numb and sit on our ass all day. So those are the types of goals that I'm trying to accomplish with this show, with the podcast. As always, if you dig the show, share it with your friends, head on over to iTunes, give it a five star, head over to my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. You can support it directly over there. And just on a personal note, I've got a couple more podcasts coming up for this year. I speak to John Maddox, a drummer, tomorrow. That should post later on this week. I'm going to have my first panel, I guess you could say, talking to two yoga teachers. I'm not going to say who, but I want it to be a surprise. I have a couple other podcasts coming up at the end of the year. I'm almost done with my book, hoping to have it done by the end of the year as well. And then just stay tuned on how you can get it. Of course, I'm going to try and get a publisher, literary agent first before I consider self-publishing. So stay tuned. But I'm really proud of the book. Can't wait for people to read it. It's freaking hysterical. So that's it. As always, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show today. You're going to hear Polly and I, Polly Humphreys and I, talk a little bit more about Netflix and the Martin Scorsese article that came out a couple weeks ago. So thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. How's it going? Uh, fine. I, uh, 
I literally never use Skype. I was like, what do I do? How do I pick this up? Oh my God. I know it's crazy. I, I do these, like these Skype interviews with people across the country and people, so many people don't use Skype. I, I was like, I was like hitting your name and hit, it was like, what the fuck? I can't pick up. Yeah. And, and I figured it out. Well, yay. Yay. You know, you and I have a lot of strong opinions about Netflix and entertainment. And I was really struck by the Martin Scorsese opinion piece that came out on Netflix or, or rather on New York Times rather a couple of weeks right. ago. Right. And, you know, there's so many layers to it all. You okay. know, he, you know, he has this movie called The Irishman that's that's come that, that has been released in theaters. And he was having a hard time getting it financed. Right. And it ended up being a $130 million budgeted film. And I don't know if Netflix reached out to him because they're obviously reaching out to everybody right now to get yeah. them sort of a part of their world. And or I don't know if Martin or Marty reached out to him out to them or Netflix reached out to them. But anyway, Netflix ended up finishing the financing for the film. But the problem with that, when you have like a studio doing part of it and then Netflix doing it, obviously Netflix is a streaming service and they want their film to be released right away. Right. Um, But there's this rule where you need to wait at least 72 days for a film that's released in theaters. It needs to be at least 72 days until Netflix or like iTunes could have people rent it. In, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Right. Well, that's sort of changed, though, ever since Netflix started to help, you know, release studio films themselves or get involved. Like it started with Roma last week. I was just going to say, because Roma. Or Roma last year. Almost simultaneous. I think it was simultaneous. It was simultaneous, yes. Yeah. So Paramount and Netflix were in conflict because obviously Paramount wanted them to wait 50 days at least. Yeah. And ultimately ended up being three weeks. But here's the here's the caveat. We can go many directions. But so Martin Scorsese, I think it can or, or somewhere was saying that Marvel films are what are they doing? They're ruining what what are they doing? Like he's tired of theaters just showing Marvel films. Well, and what he said about the Marvel films was that they have changed the definition of film. Hmm. That to him, you know, film was about the unexpected. Marvel is formulaic. There really is nothing new because you're not allowed to do anything new because the expectation of the Marvel audience is that the characters, you know, fit their arcs. Oh, what's the word? Like they're so rabid about it. You know, they're the people that will go like, well, no, Iron Man would never do that. You know? Right. So when you eliminate for, for Scorsese, what he said was, you know, when you eliminate that, you've created something else. It isn't cinema that he grew up with, that he has always known. It isn't that kind of art form. It is without art that way. Well, and here's the caveat, though. Theaters don't, you know, I, you know, I think I said this to you a few weeks ago. I don't think movie theaters are going to be around in like 15, 20 years. I mean, sure, there'll be the indie art house theaters, like the landmarks, but these big sort of AMCs where they have 15 theaters and they're at the mall and their rent's really expensive. I mean, the reality is, is, is I think what's frustrating is that theaters are playing these Marvel films because they know there's a built-in audience right? and they know people are going to go. That audience, it's just like the people who are on Twitch watching video games. 
that audience wants to be able to experience their Marvel moments that they're expecting together. You're, and I think that's why a lot of video games have been turned into movies because these yeah. they know that there's an audience there. Yeah. And, you know, the Marvel things come from comic books. And, but it's... And, it's the same thing. They know there's a built-in audience. And this, but I think this is, you know, it's funny. Marty's probably frustrated because he's maybe for the first time being victimized by sort of the culture we're in right now. It's really his his first film. You know, I might be mistaken here. I don't remember the last. I feel like The Departed was his last movie, but maybe there was one since then. But, you know, entertainment has had such a shift because of Netflix and it's affecting and trickling down. And on the one hand, you know, I can sympathize with Marty, but also I love that I'm calling him Marty. Your pal, Marty. Right. But also like the theaters are being – because people don't want to go out of that. The biggest – and I, this is what I say in my podcast a lot. The biggest hurdle for any entertainer is getting them out of the house. And if yes. if people are not going to the movies anymore, why is a movie theater going to pay a studio to have a movie – that's three and a half hours long that he knows that, or she knows that people aren't going to go to the theater to see a three and a half hour movie. So they're not going to say to Paramount, yeah, we'll take on your movie. So Paramount's like, well, obviously I'm not, I'm not going to finish financing this movie. You can go wherever you want to get to get the rest of your money. Well, that's another thing though. That's another part of this is that right. Martin says he made a three and a half hour movie. Anyone, no matter who they are, needs to have done something extraordinary to ask for three and a half hours of your time. Hmm. And it's a Scorsese film, so you and I can both have our fingers crossed that it's going to be worth it. It could be a savvy move on his part to say, you know what, Paramount, fuck you. I want to make this three and a half hour movie. I've got Netflix willing to finance the rest of this for me. It's going to be three and a half hours. Take that. Some mixed stuff about me too. Movie. Yeah, me too. If the press is not fantastic, there's no way, you know, the, except for the Scorsese diehards like you and me who are going to go, um, the, the rest of the movie going public is not going to a three and a half hour movie that has gotten bad reviews or lukewarm reviews or those reviews that say, you know, in hour three, I started to think about blah, 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 blah. Um, so, in a way, it's giving him artistic license to make the movie that he wants to make. And although he, and this is something he wrote in his article, you know, his vision is to see it on the big screen. So, right. even though he may only get three weeks in the big screen, right. at least he's still telling the story that he wants to tell. And he, may, he has made that movie to be viewed on a big screen. They, I, I think all of them do. Like, Roma which I watched uh, on Netflix, I then went and saw in a theater because that, that movie was so about the, the, the cinematic experience. Uh, you know, it's a black and white, slow-moving piece that was really about the beauty of the filmmaking. So to watch it, like, you know, right here, sort of diminishes the experience in a huge way. So I think the legitimate filmmakers that are saying okay to Netflix and making movies that were meant to be seen in theaters are in a tough spot. 
What did you think about the article that he wrote before I move on? I mean, did you sympathize with him or did you think he is? I a hundred percent sympathize with him because like I said to you before, I've seen some of, I, you know, I'm not a Marvel person. I'm not a comic book person. I've seen, uh, I've seen black Panther. I saw Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just saying Thor Ragnarok makes me crack up because I like the director. I, I, you know, I've had experience with him and I really like him. And it was a really funny movie. I've seen the, I think the original Iron Man. And I think I've seen a couple of Spider-Mans. Oh my God. I'm beginning to hate myself, but anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) but they've all been, um, watchable, but it's a different experience. Your ex, remember I told you when, when we talked about Black Panther and you were like, eh, I was like, but my set of expectations for that movie were different than they are for other movies because I knew it was going to have to be limited by what it was. But it also was an important cultural event and it was well done within within the, the limitations of the genre. Well, I kind of agree, though, with, with Martin Scorsese in the sense that, and you're kind of touching on it, clearly talented people are involved in those types of films. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, the only one I saw was Black Panther. And, you know, it, you know, it was okay. I, I, it's, it, but again, it's not my type of movie. Right. But on the other hand, you know, I remember, and again, I'm not as old as Martin Scorsese, but that the 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 experience i mean i remember seeing goodfellas in the movie theater which yeah. was was for me a life changing i'm not even a, a movie Scott, because yeah it was a life changing event for me and it sort of introduced me to martin scorsese and robert de niro, de niro and then i started going back to all their older films and raging bull and taxi driver and there was such a those like when we when I saw Parasite, that to me had a very similar feel. Where I was just like that was a, a mind blowing experience, and and it is a piece of art. The genre, you know, the the Marvel movies, the comic book movies are something different than art. And I don't and and I, and that is not to denigrate the people that are making them because he's right. Very talented people making very well executed well acted well thought out pieces but it doesn't rise to the same standard as parasite as goodfellas what is that movie well even shawshank redemption like for example i'm just i mean i'm just and that's maybe one of my not even issues with netflix but i think to myself well maybe it is but as great as things can be to me they can never be as great as the experience of seeing it a movie at least on a, on the big on the big screen, and yeah. if people aren't interested in going to the movies anymore, and if theaters are unwilling to pay money or accept a film like Irishman, which you know, or, or any of these films that are coming out, it's it's basically dim, it's diminishing arts potential in a, in a strange sort of way. Correct, because you are we're agreeing we're agreeing <laughs> because um, there. If you lower, it's the same thing as the dumbing down of everything else. If you lower the bar, then people aren't going to go for something that challenges them. You know, if if you say to someone, well, you can, you know, stay home and watch the, all this stuff, whatever you want. 
or you can go out and see something that's going to challenge you intellectually, they're going to stay home. Right. You know, when a filmmaker takes a chance, there, there is a, the, the, the people who don't want to take the chance are the money people, the studios, you know, the people who have to have the return on their investment. So you're right. Like when they can make money um, on something that people can watch on their computers, why bother take, taking a risk with something that might fail in a theater? You know, my show is obviously a lot about technology's impact, but I, and we'll kind of shift away from Marvel, but it's frightening to think, and I, I say this a lot, I, I, I think there is a dumbing down, and the Netflix experience at times can be a wonderful experience. I mean, I'm a little bit harsher on the experience than you are critical you know, and it's not that I'm more highbrow. I there's just certain things that I look for. I like, you know, what it is. I think I like to be sh- surprised. Yes, and that's why that's why, why parasite. That's why parasite was so wonderful. And to me, Netflix very like the first season of Ozark. I was un, I was in a, I was surprised. I didn't know where I was going. Mindhunter felt very, I was on the edge of my seat. It, it was, what's the word I'm looking for? But not I was a surprise. Um, I, um, there was anticipation. I didn't know where it was going. Right. right. But very often in a Netflix show, and it just, I feel as though there's a formula that's being invo- involved. And very similarly to Marvel, you know, there's a formula. I, it feels as though in order to get people out of the house, Instead of seeing Parasite, they're willing to take it. They're willing to see something that they kind of know what they're getting themselves into. That's precisely the case, <laughs> and that was what Scorsese was kind of saying in his article. Hmm. You know, but that that's something other than what cinema has been up until this point. You know, people going to 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 get a big scoop of what they already like and they know they like, instead of opening themselves up to a, an experience where they're going to discover something new is bad for the art form. How, well, how do you think, how do you, do you agree with him or how do you think this has happened? I, I, I think I do agree with him. I, um, I'm not, sh- I think it probably, I mean, how, for how many years have they been making these comic book movies now? A, a long time. Yeah. You know? And it became, I think, you know, they start, Oh my God. Like the first Michael Keaton was the first Batman, right? Mm hmm. And how many years ago? That's probably tw- more 20, than 20 years ago. I think like 20, 20 to 25 years ago. Yeah. So then that was a risk that first time. Hmm. You know? And I think uh, as they made more of them, they watched the numbers. People have been reading. And it's also it's also a generational thing. You know, the generation, the first generation of people that, that were avid comic book readers grew up and started making things. Right. You know, I, I think it kind of became, and this is all just me speculating about this, but I think it became like an easy, an easy target. Hmm. Right. Yeah. If you do, if you do Batman's 
one, two, three, four, and five, and the audience just keeps growing, then why not start making the Supermans and the Wonder Womans and the uh, Captain Americas and all the rest of them? Because you know those people are out there that want to see it because they've been reading it. I don't think, like like we were saying about the very beginning of Netflix, which was, you know, renting movies through the mail. I don't think at the beginning, when they started making superhero movies, they knew what it was going to become. And, and in fact, that word franchise about movies, I think that that started with the superhero stuff. Hmm. Like, movies weren't franchises. No. They were movies. You know, and maybe there was a sequel, but it wasn't a franchise. It wasn't like, you know, the, the, like you think of a franchise, it's like a McDonald's or Ramada Inn or, you know, the, the Spider-Man movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, that, it's, that's something so huge. And I think it happened unintentionally, but then it, they were like, oh, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Right. And, the, and, there, like, and that's, you know, capitalism taking over. Yeah. Well, I guess... I do want to touch on Netflix a little bit because, okay. uh, you know, we just... Let me let me just start with the one thing because you know where you and I disagree about Netflix. I, I don't think Netflix has a formula because there are so many things that are available on Netflix. But I do think... for uh, uh, They don't have a formula about how stuff is made. But I do think once they have bought something and it is producing you know, huge numbers for them, they're going to look for other things that are like that thing. Right. The stuff that they produce on their own is pretty diverse. I've heard from people, and in fact, Scorsese would, I think, be one of these people. They don't artistically uh, limit you. They don't say, well, no, you've got to do this. But they do say, your thing is like this thing that we really liked, you know, we're going to buy your thing. I think like the other thing that works. I don't, you know, I don't know. I think when you're dealing with a David Fincher or a Martin Scorsese or, um, somebody that sort of had like Ryan Murphy, who has a track record, Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're right. But I don't know if somebody is trying to, you know, do their first script or project. I don't, it, it does feel to me as though it's rare other than like the, when they see us that came out. Right. Uh, Ava DuVernay, I think was her name. Yes. Which, you know, was a mind blowing experience. Of course, I just. She was already a very established filmmaker. Right. But again, this is to my point where again, it feels like she had some creative liberties to do what she wanted, but I get the sense that if there's somebody that isn't like that, and I don't know how much they micromanage the screenwriters or the producers, but there does very often feel like the the first season of Ozark to me was was excellent. The right. second season just felt very, and when I say formulaic, it just feels as though the character development is withdrawn. The plot is there's not much plot going on. However, they're they're using sort of methodical manipulative sort of plot twists at the very end of a program to get you to keep watching it. But and, I don't, I don't think that's specific to Netflix. I mean, well, I think that's a problem with second seasons of many shows in many places. Yeah. And I think, and it's funny, I was talking to a friend where it's like, when you go to turn on NBC, you kind of know what you're getting yourselves into. When you, 
when you turn on Fox, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. But there is just something. About, and I guess my worry is Netflix has so much disposable income. They're buying and buying and buying. And I do think their broader intention is to get you to keep binge watching one show after the other. And I don't think you can feel the depths of a show as when you're binge watching as opposed to watching a show every like four or five days and you're really and that to me is where the problem sort of ensues and i think they are worried and thinking about not necessarily the creativity of the show involved or they are but they're also thinking does this show have the potential or is it written in a way or produced in a way where the person's going to keep moving forward with the show and binge it I think this idea of binging, releasing a show, it has, I think, creatively shifted the way things are made. I mean, true. I I think that's true. But but that is that's not just on Netflix. That's on all of those. Yeah, but it started on Netflix. It started on Netflix. I think they were the first streaming service, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong, but that sort of way of watching a show where it's all released at once you know that is going into the minds i think of the hbo's and the showtimes and and the nbc's and and now we have disney we have apple i mean they to me netflix has it's just it's shifted creativity yeah well yes the 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 series that is meant to be binged is a thing now and it's a new thing and and you are right i mean we've talked about this before there, there is a, there's a different way to write something when the, the, the hope is that when you get to the end of episode one, you're going to go right into episode two. Totally. Um, and so, yes, and some would argue, I think probably everyone at Netflix and at Amazon would argue that that's an art form in itself. It's a new form of entertainment. You know, um, whether it is something that works to the detriment of of film and even TV, you know, is is another kind of argument because it, it probably does. I mean, sure. You know, the cliff, the cliffhanger, Alfred Hitchcock has been obviously a user of that all, all, all the time. I mean, it's not something new, but you do. You know, I just I feel as though I experience something. Oh, my cat, I'm telling you, I, I know my cats always they come into the studio all the time. I just feel as though I'm experiencing something with a little bit more thought or depth when I'm watching a show on HBO or Showtime as opposed to typically, and of course there's exceptions. Typically, a show on Netflix. I just I don't know. That's just my experience. I'm. A little bit with you because <laughs> I, I, I think that just because they don't have as big a platform um, and because they pour like HBO, you know, spends all their money on whatever their big thing is at the time. I mean, they did it with the Sopranos. They, they did it with Game of Thrones. Oh, wait, here's he, here's my point. I'm sorry. So but because. Netflix power is so strong 
because their because their library is growing and they have so much money and they keep buying because when Netflix came out as a streaming service at first nobody bought in because they they didn't have a good library it was terrible but they had a lot of DVDs so they were they had that going for them but now that their library is getting stronger and stronger and they're buying more and they're buying more their way of creating is so powerful and it is i do believe hbo and showtime it and like movie theaters are going to go away and it i feel like netflix power and the money they have is so strong that it is trickling down to the way other i feel like everybody else is going to start creating like netflix is wow <laughs> no i know because they're so because they're just they're so powerful yeah and p oh, one more, one more thing and i want you to sit on this And in conjunction with people's innate, I don't want to say laziness, but we love convenience. We we love staying home. So when you couple that with that sort of human innate nature to, or that innate nature to just want to stay home and smoke a bowl or have some wine, coupled with for $15, I can just watch just about anything. When you combine those two, that's why Netflix is so powerful. I agree uh, on that one. I, I'm a hundred percent with you. And that because you you're the person that comes home, like the day has been unbelievably difficult. You, you know, it, it's nice to be there. You smoke your bowl, you drink your wine, you turn on the TV and you turn on something that you can just let wash over you. Yes. That, yes, I agree. And that's the binging thing. You know, I, you watch episode one and it was pretty good and, oh, wow, it's episode two and then, oh, right. no, it's 1 a.m., <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. been like episode four. And the other thing about binging that I will say, I don't think the I don't think the episodes land with as much uh, power when you binge watch them. You kind of forget what happened in episode one by the time you've spent, you know, four hours getting to episode four. Hmm. You know what I mean? It 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 takes away uh, from the power of the narrative. It's just experiencing the show in a really different way that is new. Possibly, you're right, because if it is Netflix that caused it, I don't know if Netflix caused it or if Netflix is just the big perpetrator. It's funny, but I'm thinking, you know, I loved Fleabag on Amazon Prime. It's, I think it's actually the only show that I've liked on Amazon Prime. Everything, yeah. everything else to me is also, well, and he, well, here's the other issue. But wait, wait, one point and then I'll move on. I loved Fleabag. I remember liking Fleabag, but the weird thing is, is that I don't remember too much about the show, like specifics. Oh, God. Whereas for me, that's one where I remember so much specific stuff. But I I also think it's because she is such a very specific actor. So I remember those big moments when it was just like a turn of her head and a perfect, you know, that kind of stuff. But I guess because there's Netflix and now Amazon Prime and Apple TV has one now and then Disney, you know, these people are, I don't know if, if they're just, and part of me feels like it's an empowering time for artists because there's so many places for you to yes. to put your stuff. And but, get work and different kinds of work and but, all of that but stuff. But I, I, people that I talk to in the industry, and it still feels as though they're giving all of that 
time and space mostly to people that are already creating stuff. They just want them to go over to their platform and start creating it over there. Yes. Yeah. Remember, I told you, Hmm. I had a friend who had a series in development with Amazon for for, uh, like three years. And they were giving her money. They had optioned it. Uh, She was paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, and they they were never able to tell her what they didn't like, but they never made the show. It was very interesting because because Amazon does micromanage. They yeah. they want specific stuff, and and maybe you're right. Maybe Netflix does the same thing. I don't know, but that experience was mind blowing for her because, and you know. For the, the whole time, they were like, great, now, just rewrite this one. Give us a different thing here. Give us a different thing here. Give us a different thing here. She rewrote the, the a pilot episode seven times. Wow. And they said to her, this is unusual. Like, normally we'll have someone do one or two rewrites. So and just imagine how odd that is to be in that kind of situation where you're that close for that long. We live in the attention economy now. Yes. And it's really about what gets people's attention. Absolutely. And I don't... This this is the one area where I do sympathize with Martin Scorsese. I don't think... You know, his article sort of touched on this where there was sort of a a creative battle versus financial battle going on between artists and studios. And very often the artists, I don't want to say won, but they felt as though they were being heard or they had some power. Yeah. And I do feel like creator's power is being relinquished because a, we have these stupid addictive devices in our pockets where when creators should be spending time creating and thinking about their art you know, they're getting texts or they're getting distracted or, you know, Instagram's happening or Facebook's happening. And a lot of studios don't want to pay marketing and PR for projects. So the artist or the filmmaker has to do it themselves. Sure. I mean, I think the whole idea of being an influencer has taken the the, um, the pressure off of marketers. They're like, to do it yourself. Yeah. Then we'll find you. You know, I wanted to say something about Scorsese, by the way, in formula, because he made an interesting point. He said that when um, when Hitchcock was making his film, he was accused of making formulaic films because they were all, you know, the, the Hitchcockian thriller with the thing at the end. But that he managed to do it in a way that truly was thrilling. He rose above the. Um, the accusation of being formulaic by saying, well, yeah, it's going to be, you know, that thing that you expect to have happen in a Hitchcock film will happen, but it's still going to surprise you. Those other films don't, don't surprise you. Right. There's no surprise. (laughs) I guess I'll leave you with this point and then I'll hear your thoughts. I mean, in a weird sort of way, maybe there was always a formula because typically the good guy always wins. And, and David Fincher sort of with seven breaks the, the molds with, because the bad guy really kind of wins. Yeah. So I guess my point is we're all becoming formulaic 
And that's why I'm frightened by Netflix. I do feel as though, okay, it's exciting that they have billions of dollars and they're signing deals with Ryan Murphy and David Fincher and there are in, in Ava DuVernay. And there are those moments where, oh, there's something pretty cool here. But I do feel like people are sort of relinquishing or relinquishing control or everybody's just sort of realized that most people are just staring at their phones all day and I have to jump on board this Netflix party because if I don't, nobody's going to see my film. And to, yeah. me, and to me, that gets to be a little potentially harmful to the creative process because it sort of means, and it's not just Netflix, because Netflix is so powerful, because people like staying at home, that power is carrying over to everything, Amazon. And I mean, I watched a clip of uh, Jan- Jennifer Anderson's new TV show, and I was just like, this, it just, the one that's on Apple Plus, yeah. it just seems yeah. so silly to me. But yeah. they, but they need to fill space and they need to bring over big names and they're not right. going to, it's just, it's a, it's just a changing, challenging time for artists. So I guess how, how, what do you think and how are you dealing with it? And, and do you feel, do you feel hopeless like I do, or do you feel more positive about it? I'm going to throw out a couple of things. Um, the idea that things have been dumbed down and been made formulaic has come up before. It came up with the idea of the sitcom. Hmm. They are formulaic. Yeah. They, you know, they follow a certain, especially the multi-camera sitcoms that you know ruled forever and then were sort of replaced by the single camera and are now coming back because they're classic because you know that's the big thing but we were were told that network formula was dumb and we, we were all a bunch of dummies for watching it so it's not the first time this has happened it's a new set of circumstances it's a new genre Um, I don't feel hopeless because I think there's so much room to create. And I think that, you know, the, the Scorsese film on Netflix is a double edged sword. I think that there are going to be people who would never ever have watched one of his movies who are going to see it. And they might, Watch part. They might watch it Eddie style. Watch part of it, walk right. away, come back, right. and watch the rest. But they're going to watch it, you know. So there's there's a positive. The negative is that they're not going to see it in the theater, which is the way it's intended to be seen. The Scorsese diehards are still going to go see it in the theater. I think you and I disagree about theaters going away. I'm just not sure because that's a unique experience. Um, and I do think. So, yes, you want to stay home on the couch and veg a lot of the time. But sometimes you want to go out and be with your friends and do something together. And the movies have always been an easy thing to do with, with you know, fun night out, either a date night or a group of friends or whatever. It's a way to do something social without having to talk to each other. Right. <laughs> you know? I guess my only rebuttal or responses i just because i think of i look around and people are texting all the time while they're driving and on their on the sidewalk and people are birding around and texting and walking into people and i just think those moments where people are willing to experience something new and go to the theater um i just think people are not doing that as often and it's just happening less and less 
uh, more generations are more interested in doing Snapchat and sitting at home. And I mean, I was slightly encouraged when I was in New York and went to the theater and people were out and that was exciting. So that's, that is definitely hopeful for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, 10 years from now, you and I may be like, Oh my God, they're, you know, the, the landmark is gone and the like no more Cinerama dome, you right, know, right. that will be really sad if that does happen. I don't know. Well, right. po- Polly Humphreys, I'll just say Polly, Polly, but thanks so much for talking. I feel like you may be my go-to entertainment correspondent. Correspondent, that's the word. Yes. So whenever there's something entertainment related that sort of, you know, touches on the impact of technology, you'll be my go-to. No, Leo, stay down. So, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk on the downward facing spiritual spiral. I, it's really, it was awesome talking to you. You too.